BattleBots, test free audio. BattleBots, your game to the next level, yo. BattleBots, impress your friends. BattleBots, BattleBots, BattleBots. BattleBots, music and soundscapes. BattleBots, FC scripts and sound effects. BattleBots, bring the ambiance. Fantasy audio, audio. Orcs, dragons, elves, and mages. Giants, armor smells, werewolves, and cages. What more do we have to say? BattleBots, BattleBots, BattleBots. Battle Bards Fantasy Audio, your one-stop shop for awesome fantasy audio. And with the help of the MFG cast, you can save even more. When you buy your $10 and $25 packages, use the code MFGCAST1 to get one track of free audio with your purchase. Also, with your $50 and $100 packages, use the coupon code MFGCAST2 to get five free tracks. That's a half an album. Also, use coupon code MFGCast3 with your $150 and $300 audio packages to get 10 free tracks. That's a full album of BattleBars Premium Audio free with the coupon codes. So go to BattleBars.com for more information. Get your MF game on. This is MFGCast. Hey guys, Kurt here. We're having our first ever RPG chat. Can you believe it? It's been four years. You think we would have had one by now, but no. We've been kind of kind of way back on that list. We always talk about, okay, we talk about video games and role-playing games and board games. Well, we're not talking enough about role-playing, so I thought I'd get our first RPG chat. So what is our first topic? We're calling it getting into character. So basically, we're about the ins and outs of how you use your character when you're role-playing. And we've got some awesome guests on the show. Some of our favorites, as always. So we've got from Battle Bards, we've got Alex. Alex, thanks for coming on the show. That's always wonderful to be here. Thanks so much, Kurt. You bet. And we've got Rohit from Gamers Playing. Rohit, thanks for coming on. Mm, thanks for having me. And Taylor from The Leviathan Files. Taylor, thanks for coming on again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on here. I'm always always happy to come hang out with the MFG cast crew. And last and definitely least, John from Legends of Tabletop. God damn it, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for having oh, me on. I- yeah, I'm just kidding, John. We love you. So let's get into her. So first thing I'd like to get into is when you come to any game, doesn't matter what it is, if it's Dungeons and Dragons, Call of Cthulhu, whatever. Do you guys like to come in with your characters fully written out? Or do you like to kind of play it as it goes? Or do you like to do maybe like a, a quick outline and then go to it? Rohit, what do you think? So... I tend to be the, uh, at least this is how my group has always done it. You need a character generation uh, session, which often tends to be the same four or five hours that a regular session ends up being. I tend to wing off what other players in my group are kind of talking about, what the general campaign is going to be about to decide what kind of character I'm going to go for. Basically, 
play off the rest of the group. So is it something then after you do, you know, after you're doing that, is it before you go into your first session? Do you, is it something that you go into great detail about what, what your guy is all about? Or is it something that you're like, well, you know, maybe I'll let the players kind of play out what they're going to be doing before I really have a voice for mine. I'll flesh out what the character is about, at least in the play style, who it is that I'm playing and why it is that I'm playing them. Backstory and stuff, in my local group, we tend not to worry too much about backstories, so I've never gotten a habit of that. In the play-by-post games I'm doing, we definitely go into a lot of backstory on those characters. I was just going to agree with Rohit that to have everybody at the table to, you know, sort of as a group, go ahead and, and try to come up with, you know, characters that can play off each other or maybe have some back history together, you know, things like that's probably the best way to do it. I don't think I've ever actually done that. <laughs> you know, usually there's like an email. It's like, okay, do we have a tank? You know, is somebody playing a striker or, you know, for, for more D&D anyway. But but I think the way that, that they go about it's probably the best way. As far as backstory, I'll, I'll try to get, you know, some details down. Like I don't do 12 pages or anything like that. You know, maybe a paragraph or two, maybe some mannerisms, just a, you know, kind of an idea. But then sometimes when you get those characters to the table, it's so frustrating because you have an idea of how they're going to play and then you start to play and it doesn't seem to translate very well. Like you don't, you know, really get those nuances and things that like in your head, you're like, oh, it's going to be this, that, and the other thing. And then you play and it's just like, eh, you know, you're just playing a game. Yeah. And I, I think that's something that is always, always, at least in my opinion, has always kind of happened as far as having a challenge as far as um, character wise, because it seems like in all the games that I've played as a, well, in most of them, I should say, probably about 80 to 90%, there's always two characters and it must i don't know it must be in my game gaming groups that always seem to be a little too similar so then it's like i kind of equate it to like a tv series so when you first watch the tv series you're like okay this is kind of interesting how the first couple of episodes go and then they have to kind of get their footing and then eventually it turns into something that's actually a whole lot different because they finally got they are finally getting their voice so i think you know, a lot of times when it comes to big, big gaming groups and stuff like that, and it could even happen in small groups is that, you know, sometimes you just kind of have to play it out before you can really find that voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they might turn into be somebody that you didn't think in the first place. I think, at least for me, a lot of my experiences with GMing rather than playing, but I think that there's some advice that a lot of people give to GMs that can, you know, fit with that situation, which is the saying, you know, no plan survives first contact with the players, you know, your character idea, no character idea is going to, you know, survive first Mm -hmm. contact with the story. So I think that kind of goes both ways, double streets. So like you can plan out, you know, 20 page backstory and have, you know, your character's occupation, birth date, social security number planned out. But like, once you actually sit down, you know, that's when things start to change and things start to like actually start moving. So I think I, I definitely agree. You know, you can have your idea set, in, but it's not going to be set mm-hmm. in stone, I guess, if that makes sense. And it, it seems like, you know, it, it, you know, for most people, if they're role playing it, you know, it seems like to be a rule for most people in their minds that you got to kind of roll with the punches because, you know, it's not all going to be the same thing every time. So, um, Alex, what do you think? Yeah. You know, uh, kind of to echo what uh, Taylor said, it, um, I've approached this a lot more as a GM than a player, but um, I think when it comes down to it, it's really, you have to talk to the DM to see what type of game is even being played. If it's a hack and slash, 
then there is likely just not a whole lot of impetus to really go and create a very flowy backstory. Like uh, Taylor mentioned, you know, with Social Security and, you know, your dog's name, age when you were five years old and all that. But I mean, even still in a relatively one dimensional game, as far as role playing goes, you probably at least still want in order to portray your character with a sense of consistency, um, at least a core motivation, maybe like a sacred cow or two, what's at least what's important to your character. But that's all it is. Now, on the other hand, you've got GMs like myself that uh, thoroughly enjoy the exploration of uh, character backstory and the nuances that can go into some of the role-playing experiences there when you have different characters with the different backstories in which a GM can leverage um, what's being written on the back in the backstory and the motivations of a character and use that to weave a very interesting story between the participants. So it really just depends on the game master. So were it me, um, and this is a game master that I don't know, I would just start with a conversation like, so you know, what role is backstory really going to have in your game and how do you in- intend to to run it um i think a game that does this really well and helps out you know and makes it like an actual mechanical thing is the dragon age role-playing system and we actually on our new podcast shameless plug time uh the Riverhouse games podcast we did an episode about goals and motivations in which we talked a little bit more in depth about why why we love that system so much but it makes making a goal and a motivation as part of your character creation but not in the way that like your gm says all right here's your homework and it has like step-by-step breakdowns on what how to make a good goal you know what kind of goal you want and then it it makes it very explicit that what you're doing is setting a roadmap for the rest of the adventure and so you know it doesn't tell you think about who your character is think of a backstory come up with this character's personality it just says what do you want and then you know, I think it's really elegant in that everything else kind of fits into place after you know what your character wants, because, you know, it's it's going to tell you, OK, here's a goal for you to use your character's uh, kit and toolkit. Um, it's got, you know, here's how you you might be approaching your your fellow teammates. Um, it's going to be telling your GM okay, this is the style that we want to play. And so I think if you do anything at all, like to just start up setting up a character is is just, you know, say I want X, Y, Z and everything else is going to kind of fit. fit. <clears throat> wow, if I could even speak tonight, <laughs> everything else is going to fall into place. Nice. So, well, now, now I'm thinking of it on the other side. So have you guys ever come into play where you've come, where you've taken a character that maybe you haven't even flush out enough into a situation and had an awkward session or even a whole you know a whole campaign where you're like okay I don't really know where my character is going and you know I just I don't really know if my character has the has the voice that I wanted to have him or her to have John go ahead this is the case with both of the characters in the play by post that we're currently running on the website <laughs> they both uh I, I had a pretty decent backstory for the monk uh, in our 5e game and you know all three characters that you know you i and neil are playing pretty much hate each other uh you know so we kind of got into a point where it's okay i kind of like the character i thought it was going to go one way and you know now it's like hmm what do we do with this game like <laughs> how are we going to progress from here mm-hmm. and sort of the same thing with the star wars game you know i didn't really come up with any backstory it's like all right put a character together what do we need and it's been difficult to try to push that game forward from my character's perspective because I don't really know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that and that can be tough. It can be it can be tough when you when you don't find that voice. 
Alex, what do you think? About I think John brings up a really interesting point that I wanted to get into. So I didn't want to. I don't want to Shanghai your list of topics, uh, Kurt. I, I think we're doing good so far. But I think something that might be of interest to people listening is how do you handle uh, characters that are diametrically opposed or because of backstory hate each other? I mean, the, a classic example, of course, like a rogue and a paladin, for instance. And I think that's a very interesting point. I, I think. Once you've been a gamer for a couple of years, you just run into this uh, quite a few times. And, you know, I would just like to say that probably contrary to what's commonly done is for me, I firmly believe that the essence of drama is conflict. And I do love a high amount of drama in the games that I run, both not just with a prime antagonist or, or a series of antagonists, but even with the party itself, I think that adds a level of realism that adds um, a level of interest uh, that goes far beyond simply uh, pulling your characters or your players by the nose to the next subplot. So I, I don't say I encourage it, but I definitely do, don't do anything to not encourage it just because some of the best character development moments that I have shared in with my players have come with some serious conflicts between players, not just from their backstory, but as the story develops. And as you guys may know, I've, I've been running single games for a very long time. I've run um, a, uh, an epic game, the Oculus Inferm Infernum, that ran for five years. I'm running a game now, Wizard of the Rose, that's running on its sixth year. And during that time, as characters progress organically, there is so much amazing stuff for them to kind of come at odds based on personality and based on the experiences. So just um, to start that conversation, as far as how do you guys as GMs handle players who just don't get along, it'd be interesting to get everyone's take. And, and to summarize my point, what I would tell my players is, you know, try to always find an excuse for your character to go along with the party. That's kind of the most important, you know, try to avoid a party breakup as much as possible. But revel in the differences uh, brought up by other characters and use that as a springboard to evolve your character or become at odds with them. I, I, I think it's a great point of interest in a gaming setting. And I, I love it. I don't ever worry about ever bringing up anything because I love it when people do that. It does bring up a great point. I kind of compare it to like real life. So when you're in a situation where, you know, say you and the other person don't really like each other and as much as it sucks, it's a situation that everybody is in. That's just that's just life, you know, unless unless it's someone God bless their heart that loves everybody. I I salute you. That does not happen in real life that much. But um, when you come into those situations, you have to make the right decision. And a lot of times you won't because most of the time when you deal with a person that where you're at odds, a lot of times, you know, there may not be a time where you make the best choices and it may go down the wrong path. Well, and that being said, there are some instances where it does go the right way. But those points in your life really kind of set your personality and you really learn how to deal with stuff. You know, a lot of people say, you know, oh, I just I hate all of the bad stuff that happens in your life. Well, if, if nothing bad happened in your life, then you wouldn't be the person you are today and you would not learn anything and therefore be, you know, very stagnant. So John, you had something to say about this. Uh, I'll just I'll dovetail because I lost my train of thought already. Uh, just as more of a, a, a philosophical statement, I agree with what you're saying. And also, if you never had anything bad happen, you wouldn't be able to compare it to anything that's good. Like everything would just be the same and there would be no difference in your experience. So you, you have to have those those negative experiences 
to show you, you know, the good experiences that you, that you are a part of and that you do have in your life. I, it's not really what we're talking about, <laughs> but it, it caught my attention and I, and I just wanted to, to, you know, just make a statement about it, but to go back to our, our the player um, conflict, it, it can, uh, like Alex was saying, show some really great character growth, char- character development. And when you're playing with, you know, your regular group, your home group, I, I think that that sort of um, inter-party conflict isn't necessarily or shouldn't really cause a problem for the group. Uh, if you, you know, are at a convention game or you're at your, you know, local hobby shop or something like that, and you, you know, wind up starting to get into that sort of a scenario where like, ah, I don't like that guy or you know, there's something about this character or whatever, then, you know, you got to kind of step back and be like, okay, maybe I need to reevaluate what's going on with this character. I completely agree uh, with, with what you're saying, John. Um, now, keep in mind, and I'm sure we're probably going to have some of these veteran GMs also speak up, and I'm very interested to see what you guys think. There's also a couple pitfalls that I've learned over my many meandering years of being a game master um, going on, oh my God, going on 20 years. But there's a couple things. It's very easy when, um, and again, it depends on the maturity and the experience of the group that you're playing with, like the home group um, is going to be your go-to. It's very easy for conflict to devolve into kind of everyone sticking their hand in the sand and just being very, very stubborn. And as a conflict potentially spirals out of control, the fallback that I always hear some characters, some some players say, well, that's what my character would do. How many of us have heard that, right? Um, when they're trying to justify something that is not very conducive to a party experience. So I think it does take a very particular group with a certain level of maturity, a certain level of experience to being able to handle and enjoy the conflict between players and to make sure that that still is conducive to a great story element uh, and helps to progress the story along and the the evolution of the characters. It's just that might not be for someone who's relatively new to this game as they might feel getting attacked. I mean, to give you guys a quick insight, of of course, with uh, the Orange County Gaming Group, we've been playing together for a very, very long time. We will get into shouting matches. I mean, absolute just red face shouting screaming but of course it's all in character and we know it is you know it's a safe it's a safe place to do it to do that uh with someone that might be relatively new could be extremely intimidating yeah so i mean i i think you you brought up a really great kind of pain point that we can look at which is the, the that's what my character would do thing and as a gm my first response is okay well your character is a fictional creation and you know who has final say over that? You. So what's your excuse now? And I mean, that sounds kind of mean, but I really don't like the excuse of that's what my character would do because I think it's a cop-out for not you know, taking the time to think of something that you could do creatively that would actually go with it. So I guess my challenge would be to players, you know, before you say that's what my character would do, take take a step back, take a deep breath. I know it might be frustrating because it's not something that you as a player might want to happen. But take a, a second to realize that this is a communal activity that we're all doing together, usually to have fun. And if you can't think of a reason why you would want to have fun with your friends, I think you need to take a, another step back and think about why you're at the table. And I think one way to, to help prevent those situations from happening is, as a GM, one of my first questions in the character creation session that Rohit talked about a long time ago is to ask my players, what 
does your character do if they're stuck? What does your character do if they're frustrated? What does your character do to get their way? And if I see a red flag pop up, I can take a, I can, you know, take a second to say, okay, well, can we think of a way that we can process this in a way that's A, fun for everyone, B, that furthers the story, and see that works to develop your character. Because then if you can set those precedents and if you can, you know, sort of outfit your players in a way that equips them for those situations coming up in a way that is story positive, that's a really great thing to do. I guess the whole thing of my player, my character would do that. It's, it's a kind of thing where people forget that the onus is on us as players as much as it is on the GM to create a story. We can't really go that's what my player would uh, that's what my character would do exactly because that doesn't actually make any sense that's not saying what your character would do that's just saying what you feel like doing but don't have a valid reason to do your character if your character is in a group with a bunch of people trying to accomplish a goal then unless something like unless you're talking about a paladin who's being told to kill an innocent person your character is going to find a way to do it if you're opting to purposely step away and not do something that the rest of the group is intent on doing, unless it is a monumental reason, you should... Go. It, personally, I think as a character, you should go with it. Maybe you have to come up with some justification. Maybe you have to finagle things a little bit. But, you know, we it's, it's a communal storytelling game. And you guys keep mentioning like your home group. It's kind of funny because I actually see this as regardless of where you are, you know, for me, it's if whether you're at a con, whether you're playing with a brand new group of people, whether you're playing with people you've played with for two, three, four decades, you know, you should be there to have fun and to help other people have fun. And if you're taking that away, you're making the game worse for everybody at the table. I just wanted to touch on something. I think that Alex kind of brought up a little bit earlier, you know, when you're going to sit down for a new game, you know, whoever the GM is, you know, really needs to sit and play with the players. You know, we have the social contract and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Just give a, a heads up like, hey, this is this is the kind of game I want to run. You know, this is what the game is about. You know, how do you guys feel about that? You know, what are the motivations? What do what your players want out of the game? You know, what are your players looking for? Uh, I ran a Star Wars game and, you know, before we even sat to the table, I sent them a huge email. I'm like, all right, what do you guys want to do? Are we running canon? You know, are we doing alternate universe? Are we just doing something completely, you know, homebrewed, but we're using the Star Wars universe? So you kind of have to get that input from your players beforehand. And then, you know, we start talking about, you know, making characters and what their personalities are and stuff like that. And that's that's an interesting point because you, you know, you you'd really wonder about, you know, this whole thing that's called a game. But really, you know, it, it we put our lives into it. I mean, we really do, you know, you know, back when you're, you know, you're younger and stuff like that, you had all the time in the world. So you put all this time into your characters and into, you know, you know, getting with your friends or, you know, maybe some friends and then some other people you didn't know. And, you know, you get to uh, have these experiences. Well, you know, just like real life, if you put all the work into it, you put your heart and your soul into it, you know, you do these, all these things for it and something, bad happens, of course, it's going to hurt your feelings, you know, so you have to be very wary of that kind of stuff. I am one of these people that do not handle is just going against other people, basically. And there's a word for it. I'm dumb right now. I can't think of it because I'm in my thought. But, you know, it's, you know, it, it's, it's hard to get past that kind of stuff when, you know, 
when you're dealing with something that, you know, a lot of people are really into, you know, a lot of this stuff, people, the people that are RPing, they have, you know, a lot of passion and they put their passion into their characters. So it's hard for them to get away from that. And sometimes it's hard to separate what's real from what's fiction. And some of those are kind of mixed together. Taylor, you had a thought on that. But I think that this is a situation where the metagame could have been really, really important. And so instead of, you know, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but instead of just like going into it and saying, okay, well, this is what my character would do, knife to the throat, whatever, don't say bad things. You could have said like, taking a, a, a moment to say like, oh man, this is great, dude, because my character doesn't like what you're saying and you know i i want you to know that what this is nothing against you as a person but like he's really pissed so he's gonna pull out his knife and like try to make it so like you're and i mean obviously you would be glad because this is a character building moment but like making it clear to the other player that you're like happy about it even though the situation might contain negative emotions or be charged negatively because that way it, it it tells the other character like okay what you're doing is is good and it's giving you know you're giving positive reinforcement to that behavior even though the situation is like presenting itself normally as something that we would get like a negative response from, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, and there's a couple of things here, and I think one of the one of the reasons why this tends to be an issue when you're you know really, especially when you're an experienced player and diving deep in your character is more often than not when you're playing really kind of in some ways an alter ego of yourself. You're playing a hero. You're playing. You know, someone with heroic qualities who's capable do, capable of doing great things, and that often inherently lends itself to playing someone who is confident, who is not contradicted, who is not usurped or is not stood up against, who is someone that others defer to. So, what ends up happening is, I think, when you start getting into this role, or at least for for some gamers. And any player, whether it's in word or deed, do something against you, air quotes, against you. Sometimes some people internalize that as in a personal affront, even if there was no violence in the actual game, it was kind of a a knock on that character's ego, so, so to speak. And that's why I think in sometimes you can have someone that gets upset because you know, here this this unvarnished alter ego of yours that you have built up, whether internally or in the game itself, to be of such heroic qualities, is able to be usurped in this way, is able to be, you know, undermined in this way, even if it's just something like, you know, putting a knife to the throat, can be more than some people can handle. Now, as far as if, if I were a GM, so for me, I love moments like this. Again, when it's with the right group, I think having that kind of hostility presents such amazing opportunities for role playing where that could that could be a simmering hatred between the two parties that maybe gets reconciled during combat sometime or you know now the now your character's kind of always looking over his shoulder for some kind of retribution and then the other character needs to internalize is that worth doing i mean it's just such a rich fertile setting for role playing and I, I would not have come down on a player unless, uh, I mean, a, a, as long as such a development was organic and consistent with the character. If it was clear over multiple role-playing sessions that this character was your sacred cow, that was the one thing, the inviolable thing to your character, uh, then having that response is an, a natural extension of that character. As a matter of fact, I would argue that had you not taken that step, 
that would have in some ways contradicted, uh, in some way smeared the consistency and the believability of the character. It does not in some way act, even in, in an aggressive way or an exaggerated way, to something like that. So, you know, I would even push back. But again, and we've all stated this, I know we all agree, it depends on the group. It depends on their ability to internalize something like this. It's kind of funny because I've actually been on the opposite end of that. And so I can tell you personally. So I had a game where me and another character. So this was a situation where the other person used. I, this is what my character would do as an excuse rather than as a reason. And it's funny because if he had come back to me after and apologize, well, not apologize because that's not what you're doing. But uh, clarified, confronted, you know, basically addressed the situation. It would have gone a lot further because I was in a situation where basically uh, it was a combination of out of character and in character stuff where there was an important item. My character had picked it up on purpose because there was a power hungry mage in the group. And clearly you keep big, powerful magic items away from a power hungry mage. And you know, a session later, he came back, had the item in his possession. We argued for a second. He had a good RP reason to do it. And so I kind of let it go. But it really ticked me off that, you know, he went out of game to address that. And if he had come back after and gone, you know, I, I you know, yeah, I think I realized that, yes, your character had it. You know, it sort of worked in the situation. Hope you don't mind. It would have changed a lot of stuff and it kind of led to other conflicts between our characters that actually weren't organic because at that point character conflict became personal conflict and personal conflict's not good for a game personal conflict is uh, it's a detractor from a game whereas character conflict is part of a game yeah that's a that's a great point all of this talk about uh, different characters and stuff like that has kind of brought up a question in my mind so when you guys have these characters do you is it easy or is it hard for you to get into character that's something that's not your own personality? Or is it something where you just try to jump in with both feet? You know, what, what exactly, you know, how do you, how do you feel about when it's, when it's those character moments, when it's something, someone that's really not your style? Uh, I think for me and, I, I think the biggest advice that I can give people about trying to get into character is to GM a game because you will be playing 400 different characters all on the spot and you will have to be different with each of them. But for me, it's it's all about finding a voice. And the way that I can do that is if I, you know, if I have a, a particular effect that I can put on my voice, like if I can make it scratchy, that, you know, a scratchy voice is going to have different um, like character tropes or associations that we put in with it. It's the same with a nasal voice. So if I can just find a voice, you know, that's going to give me more uh, character inspiration than anything else. And, it, and then secondary to that is picking one or two adjectives and just writing them in huge capital letters on the top of my sheet. So if I just write angry, um, I can have that there and it's staring me in the face and it's shouting at me that I'm playing an angry character. And, you know, it, it may seem like I'm hitting myself over the head with a brick on it, but if it's something that I'm even just remembering to put in tiny little asides and any time I do this, that I'm just perpetually angry, I don't need to be shouting in every scene, but I can huff and I can stamp my foot. And that those are different ways that I can come across and be, you know, uh, emoting this character. And if I'm performing that character, it allows me to sort of like subconsciously 
like incorporate that into everything else um in even into the way that i'm like thinking and approaching problems so i'm of the mindset of i play what feels natural to me because if i don't i don't feel like i'm doing justice to that particular character and it might be one of the reasons why i tend to be a more freeform gm uh while i will give npcs flavor and character i tend to do it more through their actions than through uh how they speak or necessarily what they say and i think it comes down to likewise for example some people are absolutely fine playing female characters i personally don't because i don't feel comfortable in a situation or i don't feel comfortable role-playing a character where i don't do justice to what that character represents or who that character is likewise my personality style doesn't flow very well with evil characters. So I tend to avoid playing evil overall because if I can't play an evil character well, if he's just a character with a grudge or he's just like a good character who's just kind of angry, it's not an evil character. So why call him evil? That doesn't mean I won't play characters who are jerks or characters who are just out for revenge, who have no problem, you know, killing an NPC just because. But if it's not evil, it's not evil. Uh, and so I try to focus on my strengths and I try to focus on what can I bring to the table rather than playing something different just to either play it different or to, you know, round out or what it might be. Because I'm not going to do justice to the table. I'm not going to do justice to the character. And then it's just kind of going to be doldrum role playing. I'd rather be a great role player at one thing rather than a mediocre role player. At so a then Rohit, so then do you, do you ever try to go outside of your box every once in a while and say, you know what, I may not be like, well, let's stay away from the whole female character thing because you, you know, you, you, you know, as being a male, you might not be in the right mind to having that voice, but do you, you know, do you pick certain things at, at, at a time and go, you know what, maybe I can work on this. Maybe it's something I can, you know, maybe I can open up certain things in my mind or, you know, in my personality that maybe I'm not used to and maybe work on this to see how it affects the game and maybe you. Uh, so I can pull off a very stereotypical female voice if necessary. I play, there's, I can't remember the name of the card game, but there's a great battle mage card game where one of the rules are you have to talk in the character, of, uh, in the voice of your character. And I play the character Princess Flufferbottom. <laughs> so I think I got that down. But <laughs> that aside, uh, just because I, you know, placing, knowing what I can play or what I can't play doesn't mean I don't uh, extend beyond that. Just because, you know, like I said, the difference between an evil character and a character who is out for his own and so will kill, you know, everybody he sees is kind of a fine line. But I think due to my nature, I'm very distinguishing of what phrase goes with what thing. So the difference between an evil despot or sorry here let's clarify an evil assassin versus a assassin who feels like killing everyone around him is his path to fame mm -hmm. is relatively minor in my opinion and so evil there is just kind of a descriptor it doesn't really tell me what evil is but i know that then if it came down to the character having to make moral decisions uh, that were outside of his character flow I might have difficulty with that. So I'd rather play a character where I can define who the character is and move forward with that. It doesn't mean that I'm not trying new things or experimenting with it, 
but I prefer to be very precise in how I uh, assemble my character. Alex, you had an opinion on this. Yeah. So by the way, for anybody listening, you can usually tell who's an inexperienced role player unless they're joking if they're playing female and it's either one of two things, a feminazi or a very loose woman. That tends to be the two archetypal men playing women roles that I've experienced in my many years. To to the point that that the the question that you raised is how do you prepare to characterize a um, a character who's out of, outside of your comfort zone? I've role played as little girls, mad, power crazed, uh, you know, diab- diabolists. Um, you know, very angry, very kind, senile people, you know, you, you name it. What I'll do is when I'm going to be trying to role play, whether as a player or as one of my many, many characters as a, a game master, something that is so alien to me is I will look for a crutch. I will look for a stereotype or something or a, a characterization in a movie or a comic book or something that's out there. Because that gives you an entire prepackaged set of nuances, mannerisms, evocation, you know, ways of, of, of accenting what you're saying, where you don't have to flesh all these little parts out. You simply have a prepackaged set of characterizations that you could run and, and use uh, right away. And as you become more comfortable with that player, you can then start to kind of make it your own. That's helped me a great deal, especially when I have to characterize something that's outside of my comfort zone very, very quickly on the spot. You know, all of a sudden my PCs, for whatever reason, take a liking to a small girl they rescued and they really want to explore her backstory. You've got to dive in quick. So you kind of latch on to, you know, a a very, you know, uh, just a simple example from a movie or series or something. And that helps you dive in extremely quickly without having to develop a whole persona that you're not used to based on, on who you are and what you have experience. With. So I'll mention something to playing character. If uh, one thing that I'm a big believer in is role play is therapy. And I, I think that's one of the other big things for me. Role playing is definitely a big escape. So if I'm escaping something, sometimes an escape means going, uh, going out of who you are. Sometimes it means addressing something in your real life that you want to, you know, that you might not be able to actually address. So I, I think that's a really great point about, you know, people play who they are in one way or another. And I think even if you're playing something, even, you know, completely opposite of who you are, you're playing a part of yourself. I don't think people can actually completely remove themselves from a situation. You always apply yourself in some way or another, and you might only be playing a small fraction. You might be playing some part of you that you've got hidden deep down and don't want anyone to ever see. But at the end of the day, in order to actually bring something to life, you need to actually give it a piece of life. And that usually means giving it something from within yourself. So it, I don't think, I think that's one of, I guess, going back, another reason I don't really go for evil characters. I, if I try to dig in for that kind of stuff, I don't feel it come out naturally. So it kind of becomes robotic, you know, uh, bad 60s, 70s kind of writing evil rather than it actually being like fun, entertaining evil. Well, I think something is to be said about having the Rodriguez evil stuff where it's like, you know, like your Austin Powers, you know, that kind of thing, and like Dr. Evil and stuff like that. I, I think they're, you know, even 
and it goes to saying with like, like if you have, uh, you know, a character you're trying to play and you can't quite find that voice, sometimes playing a, um, almost a shell of itself, you know, if for lack of a better term to really, you know, play up the cheese of it, you know, sometimes can actually bring it to a point where, um, it goes into, into a direction that, you know, maybe things want, maybe things can go, you know? So I think with stuff like that, I think that even at your worst, which is kind of a weird thing to say, I think even at your worst role-playing, sometimes you can bring out the best in a situation and in other people. Taylor, you had something to say about that? Yeah, I think, especially with the example of playing evil characters, there's a, a game out by uh, a writer called Greg Stolze, and it's called Better Angels, and it's about playing supervillains, but you're regular, not like good people. You're like regular people, but you have a demon possessing you who is making you <laughs> into supervillains. And there's a section in that book where he explains the difference between evil and evil which is really great. And so when you're role-playing, he says, you know, go all in, go that evil, because evil's really terrible and it's going to be soul-sucking, but evil is cartoonish and you can have fun with it and you can explore like the different things. So, <laughs> Ooh, sorry, I had to like sprint across to like connect my LAN cable because my internet was dying and then you called on me. I was not expecting. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so when you're playing evil characters, don't think of it as like, okay, well, how do I be a bad guy? Think of it like, okay, what's something cartoonishly like just ridiculous and divorce that from the argument of morality to sh to not only like explore the facet of what you think is good and bad in play, but also to explore what that does to a story. And this is getting into some like sort of like heavy duty, like narrative study BS that I went to school for four years for, and I still barely understand, but like heroes and protagonists are boring as hell because they're always just reacting to stuff. But antagonists and villains are super interesting because they're the ones that are like acting uh, and they have desires and they have that narrative push that creates the situation for the heroes and the protagonists to react against. And so when you're playing the bad guys and, you know, I, I don't think I would ever like actually enjoy playing a villain campaign and I roll my eyes anytime my friends are like, oh yeah, we're going to get together and play bad guys. I think that that would still, it could be like an interesting exercise because it forces you to 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 play actively and that's something that i think that um everyone's table could use a little bit more exercise in i'll just take a second for context because it's something interesting you brought up i'm like eh, yeah i could play in you know like a jokey evil character but i guess it comes up that in my game groups we tend to play i don't want to say serious but a jokey evil doesn't really come up well in for example uh cthulhu if you're not playing a comic cthulhu game an evilish or like jerkish character is kind of uh, sorry sorry a comic character is not really fit well in a more serious setting and you know like i mentioned at the beginning in my most of my other games tend to be very ad hoc and so your character is less relevant than what he does uh and so it's, i think that you brought up an interesting thing that now i i, I kind of want to think more about because what your group is makes a huge difference in how you address your characters and how you come up with your stuff. I don't have the opportunity to role play with groups that are more lighthearted or just willing to, you know, wing about and have fun with their characters. 
my group is more about have fun with a situation. So my character is less relevant than what he can do. Yeah. So to take what Rohit uh, said and and perhaps take it a little bit further is, and, and not to push back on what you're saying, uh, Taylor, because I do agree with what you're saying. I, I think so much of it depends on the group and on the game itself. We run, um, at least the games that I run, an extremely gritty, very <laughs> gritty <laughs> is really the best word, where there are some pretty heavy things that the party goes through in a very, uh, you know, in a very adult manner. And that's just the, the, the sense of the drama that we enjoy exploring. So kind of having the uh, a character come in as like a Mark Hamill, Batman animated series type of evil would just be very conflicting to the overall tone of the game. So it'd be more like the Heath Ledger version of, the, uh, of evil, you know, using the Joker as um, an analogy here would be something that would uh, be very appropriate. And that's one of the NPCs that I run, this very kind of very gritty kind of anti-hero slash villain sort of. It's a very gray area. But again, it, it really it really just depends on what type of evil is able to not only be accepted in the tone of the game, but also how is the character, how is the player characterizing that character in a way that at least the game gets to move forward, that it's not simply about, hey, everyone, let's focus on me, my character, and look how crazy evil I am, but more as just another part of the party that together still needs to find a way to stay together as a group and move the main plot forward. Oh man, if you want to talk about characterization that helps further other people playing, definitely I would recommend checking out games that are powered by the apocalypse. So like anything that's inspired by apocalypse world, because their whole shtick is not only everything is going to help you play and everything is going to help your players play. So even the mechanics, it's not like a pass fail system on the dice roll. It's always like something that's seeding things for further use. But the 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 part of the game system that I want to touch on with that is that um, every system has a bond or a string or um, some sort of like connection between characters and it's always something that you can maneuver mechanically um, and get sort of benefits on and it it like forces you to play with your other players in a way that doesn't like make it obvious so like you're never going to be like oh i see what's going on here you're always going to be like all right well i want this extra plus one and so fictionally that means that i can take care of this thing which i touched on in this past scene it's a callback from this that and the other thing and that means that blah 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 so it's like it's always making you run and um, like revolve the fiction and the mechanics of what you are doing on ways that you can like tie in with other people. And I just realized that I did a terrible job of explaining that. But yeah, playing anything anything by Powered by the Apocalypse, like once you play it, it's gonna like click like a light bulb, yeah, in your mind, and you're gonna understand how to how to you know played more generously another thing i was thinking of because we just just released a interview with uh james damato uh from one shot podcast talking about their npc cards game that's coming out on kickstarter and it just made me think about voices this is something that in the in the past i wasn't excited about at all and now that i've gotten more into role playing and with the people that i've been around and you know of course being on this podcast you know being able to do some awesome stuff with even the people that i've been speaking to tonight what is your opinion on voices is it something that's it's not worth it is it something that you know when done right it can be you know the best thing for it is it something that 
really is just not worth it at all. You know, what? what's your opinion on that? Uh, Taylor, you go first. Oh, man, I have so many things to talk about character voices. I'm so pumped about character voices. I'm so excited for noisy person cards. I am going to back like instantly. I think it's a great idea. I think it's so cool. So there's this really cool thing called performative identity. And it's it's like a theory of the way that you perform your identity informs your identity. And so the things that you do to like make your performance of uh, your like ethos or whatever. I'm I'm so excited. So I'm really explaining it poorly. But it's it's like your actions and your your performances, your emotions, uh, not your emotions, your emotives all inform uh, not only your declaration to like other people, but your establishment of your identity within your own self. And it, the way that we can, you know, translate that to tabletop role-playing is um, really kind of like a, a one-to-one case. So like you're, you're performing um, as this player and you're establishing that player, not only to the people around the table with your character voice, but you're establishing them to, you, you know, yourself. So you're learning more about this character, the way that you do your voices and the way that you, you know, gesture and act at the table. And, you know, in a way you're, you're performing this new identity, you're creating this new uh, entity at the table in, in the way that you're doing your character voices. And I think that's so cool. And like, just in the past few years of, you know, me trying to study, you know, tabletop games and also like performance theory and like narrative shit, it, it gets really boring. But anytime that I talk about like performance and the creation of self and identity, I'm like, hell yes, this is my shit. Character voices, everyone should do them. Noisy Person Cards is going to make it so much easier for you to do that because it is going to hone your skills. It is going to sharpen all of that shit. It's going to give you the practice that you are going to need. Back, Noisy Person Cards. Yeah, definitely. We're excited about it too. Rohit, you had an opinion on it too. What do you think? Yeah, I think character voices are absolutely necessary. I don't. I mean, it, to me, it's not even a question of... Uh, should you do them? I think 100% you should. And I think what it comes down to is, I think the reason a lot of people don't do voices is they don't feel comfortable in their group. If your group doesn't seem like it's going to be open to a voice, then you're never going to try it. And it ends up being a recurring cycle of if you don't start doing voices, then you're never going to end up doing voices. And so you never do voices. So you never do your first one. And it just builds on itself. So I encourage everyone to try them. If nothing else, just put a slight accent on your character. Give them a Southern twang or give them a British accent. Make them sound German. You know, speak exactly as you're speaking now, but just give them a slight inflection, if nothing else, and then use that to build up what it means for your character to have a voice. And by doing that, you start to, you know, like I have mentioned earlier, the whole thing about the psychology of being in a character you put on a voice, you bring yourself a little further away from who you are and you bring yourself a little bit closer to who your character is. And so it becomes easier to role play. I think it becomes easier to do things that you wouldn't typically do if you're not playing you, if you don't sound like you and if you're not thinking like you and by bringing all of it together, you end up building a stronger character, both for yourself and for the other people at your table. And like I said, you start small with uh, small inflections, with small accents, whatever else, and then you build that up to being something bigger. You give them maybe a lisp or you give them some sort of special flaw, characterization that other characters wouldn't have. Yeah, I mean, I wish I had something more to add. Uh, Rohit and uh, Taylor, just nail it. Um, 
do voices, guys. Um, I know it might be intimidating. If you're with your friends, you're somewhere safe. Uh, it might be embarrassing at first. You guys might giggle. That's awesome. That's great. Please do. Um, I wish somebody would have told me a long time ago uh, when I was much younger and I started getting into D&D. I hope someone pushed me to do voices as everyone here is telling you to do. I think that would have helped me kind of come out of my shell a little bit more when I was uh, in my younger years. Um, so not only do I think it's formative as far as uh, character and, and confidence, as far as role-playing goes and as far as the game goes, yes, Rohit hit the nail on the head. It does help you get into character a lot more where it becomes much more natural when you simply do something as simple uh, and as you said, something as simple as just uh, a little silly inflection on your voice is going to help you um, really naturally uh, don that persona. What I what it also does, even just from a logistic standpoint, from a timing standpoint, it really just takes away the fact that you're always saying, my guy says, and he says, oh, and my guy says this. You simply just speak in that tone. That makes the flow of the game much smoother, much more seamless. You could actually have conversations as everyone's adopting different voices as who they are, instead of always having to have these little hiccups, these little interruptions of, well, my guy, my guy says, because you're kind of hoping that by saying that you make sure that everyone, everyone maintains that persona that you're trying to have. Um, you simply speak it and, and that makes the game flow uh, much smoother. And now, now that I know that John wants to speak, I I've heard John role play quite a bit. So I think I know his answer too. So go ahead, John. Well, I was going to say just um, talking, just building up on what Alex was saying, you know, to talk about, you know, talking in character and kind of keeping the flow of the game, unless your character talks in third person where um, Mike Krahulik has made a, a, a living out of playing Jim dark magic, you know, speaking in the third person, but I think that's a little bit more of a, of a niche sort of thing. To go back to what Taylor was saying, to write down adjectives, you know, if we're talking about NPCs, and even for your own PC, uh, to have that along with a voice will really start to bring, you know, give those characters a lot of life. I've, I've done voices, I do voices. And again, even, even having GM for a while, it's still like, you know, you bring something new to the table and you're like, I, okay, I hope this is going to work. And, you know, Usually fine, you know, it's, it's your group, so they're forgiving. But when we started playing our Star Frontiers campaign with Oscar Rios, I'm playing a Saurian, which is essentially a big lizard guy. And I went full in with the voice with kind of like the long drawn out S's and, you know, kind of just like sort of a creepy sort of whatever. And when we sat down for the next session before we hit the record, he was like, yeah, you got to lose the voice. It, it's too distracting. And, you know, we're, we're you can't do it. <laughs> So I was like, oh, all right, well, I gave it a shot. I was all in. And um, it kind of took me out of character a little bit. But, I, you know, for ease of play or whatever, it's fine. I mean, it, you know, if it's if it's that distracting, and I think that was kind of the thing. It's like, hey, it's really distracting. You know, that's fine. Well, I think it would have been, I think that would have been, I think with Oscar, I think he went with it the wrong way. I think he could have said, he could have put, a character, an NPC, or, you know, maybe even, well, yeah, it'd be NPC play, but where he would kind of say that in character in the game, just, oh, your, your, your voice is so distracting and make it into something fun and let you, let you keep that voice, you know, where it would, you know, where it would have been, you know, more exciting, you know, mm-hmm. of a thing instead of just being like, hi, this is me. This is my voice. You know, it's, it's good to have that. So I think, I think, but with what we've been talking about tonight, well, it doesn't matter when you've been listening to this, but we're talking tonight. I think what it is, is, you know, just roll with the punches, you know, just do whatever you think would 
be what your character needs, you know, try stuff out. And, you know, I made this, I made this opinion when, um, when I was talking to James about noisy player cards, you know, it's like, once you, uh, comedian said once, once you realize that this, this life is just, it's fucking ridiculous, then you've won, you know? So it's like, you know, try those things that, you know, you wouldn't try otherwise, you know, cause who gives a shit, you know, it's like, as long as it's something that's not against the law, guess what? You're probably going to learn a good lesson from it, you know? So, you know, go out there and, you know, do the things that you want to do that, you know, just really will make that experience better. Taylor, you had something to say about that. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, kind of rescind my hand up but i was i was just gonna talk about like you know if you're you don't need to go all out on your voices it, it could be just be like something tiny like we like we had talked about when alex and rohit were talking like and i i put it in the chats but i kind of want to say it out loud so that it's on the recording but like even the smallest steps are still steps so you know like you can have your mm-hmm. you can you know do character voice just as your voice but make it Make it so that it's not you, the player, talking. Make it so that it's you, the character, talking. And whether or not that's, you know, actually physically changing your voice or it's, like, changing the way that you talk, the changing the words that you talk, changing the delivery, do something different. Or make it so that you're really, mm-hmm. really invested in the in a reason for it to stay the same. And I was just going to say in Oscar's defense, which I don't know that he really needs it, but because he runs so many convention-style games, the game that we're playing is not a, a real RP-heavy game. We kind of have to shoehorn it in a little bit because I think his play style is more of, I've got to get this shit done and, you know, I've got four hours to do it and we're going to you know, ram through a scenario. So it, it tends to be a little less RP heavy of a game style, but you know, it, it, it's still enjoyable. We have a lot of fun with it and, you know, you get your moments in, you know, kind of where you can get them. So, yeah, I can, I can understand that, but also I, I can see on the other side of that too, where it's like, you gotta, it, and I've heard this on lots of different podcasts and stuff like that. It's know your group. So if you, you know, if your group is willing to go this way and, you know, they, and it's something that they really want to do. You know, I understand you want, everyone has their set way of doing things, but it, it, it makes for an even longer game. And sometimes it can really halt progress and stuff like that. If people aren't willing to accept what the, what their players are bringing to the table, because what's a store, what's, what's a story without its voices, you know? So Taylor, you had something to say. Yeah, I've actually got like two things to add to this. The first is um, con games. Good. I'm glad you're not faking me out again. <laughs> Sorry. The first is that con games are, I think, have like an extra emphasis on, on you know, being ridiculous and going, you know, taking the extra step in doing character voices. Because it's like, when are you going to play with these people ever again? When are you going to play the story ever again? Better like just go all in, ham it up for a con game because you know, you've got a condensed experience. And so, you know, yeah, focus on getting what's done, done. But like, that doesn't mean that you can't make every second count in doing those character voices or like, you know, inhabiting that space. And then my second thing to say is that, you know, we're talking all about these these things that the players can do to do their character voices. But I think that the responsibility for at least initiating the change from just like, okay, uh, I do this, I pull this lever, I say blah, that big responsibility hinges on the GM because they, you know, traditionally they're, they're the authority for the game. They're the one who's, you know, in charge of the pacing. They're the one in, who's in charge of setting the, t- the tone, the story. And for me, the, the first... Th- 
the first moment and I can remember it vividly because it was so important to my my experience as a uh, tabletop role playing gamer was when I was in high school in my game, my school's gaming group. And I was, you know, game I was playing a game um, and I was playing my character and I was like doing all the the regular things that, you know, you know, really do in high school games. But my GM just started, suddenly broke out into a really over the top Scottish accent for a dwarf. And I was like, oh, we could do this. And it was like the heavens had opened up and it was something just, you know, so simple and so stereotypical as like a Scottish dwarf. But it was the just the fact that it was there at the table that my GM was doing it. I was like, okay, this is something that's okay for me to do. And I've been doing that like nonstop since. So I think wrapping this up, I think basically what we're trying to tell you to do is just really get into it, you know, just really you know, go with, go with what you're comfortable with, but also, but also be willing to take a chance, you know, definitely talk it out with your game group, talk it out with your game master, you know, really decide where, you know, where you can go and where you can take it, you know, and don't be afraid to argue a point, you know, don't go out there and be, you know, an asshole about it, you know, just really work with what you have, because there's a lot of things that you can do that you probably haven't thought of. And hopefully, you know, this conversation with all these great people, hopefully it can bring out a couple of questions in you that you can bring to the table. Well, whether it be voices, whether it be writing down a background for your character, whether it be, you know, can I play this, this character that I'm not quite used to if it's, you know, voice wise, skill wise, or, you know, whatnot. So, you know, really go out there and, and challenge yourself. And that's, kind of the reason why I wanted to have all these guys on to talk about this is just to describe their insights on their characters. And hopefully it will kind of enlighten you on what you want to do in the future as far as your characters go. Um, If you want to get in on the conversation, always, you know, we're at MFGCast on Twitter. I'll be sharing everybody else's Twitter as I say thank you get a hold of them, you know, really talk with them about what you've heard on this podcast. You know, if you want to join the Facebook page, I can always forward it to everybody. Let's get this conversation going, you know, to talk about, you know, where our characters are going. For the millionth time, I just wanted to say a very big thank you to everybody for coming on. And this, again, this is part of the show where we kind of talk about what's going on in our world. And I will start with John. John, what do you got going on with Legends of Tabletop? Oh, God damn, he caught me as I was in the middle of tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Son of a bitch. Well, you know, I mean, we're just, we're kind of trucking along doing our thing. Uh, Monday nights or Monday mornings, we release our uh, actual play podcast for the week. Usually on Tuesdays, we have some sort of an interview. Uh, most recently, we've been doing a lot of uh, Kickstarter interviews. Uh, just on Friday, we had a special Friday afternoon edition. We had the guys from uh, Not So Broken Games come on and talk about Hull Breach. They have about seven days left in their uh, Kickstarter. We're trying to help them get that funded. And, and, you know, I mean, we're just, you know, kind of getting the word out and, you know, doing shows like yours. We have, you know, really great affiliates on the uh, on the network here. Uh, you guys, the Dragon Fisters. Uh, Gamers Table, Dice Heroes, Microphones of Madness, Nerd Sauce. I, there's a ton. I don't know. We've got Rock the Golem. He's coming on Tuesday night. Uh, that's Dave. He's also on the Dragon Fisters podcast. Uh, I'm going to be on uh, Fuzzy Dice on Tuesday evening with the Exploding DM. Uh, we have a uh, Ask a DM show that we're going to be doing. I'll be on that. Um, and I, I guess that's about it. Uh, we have a couple other things we're working on. We got our new logo up, which looks really good. Adam Baker did that work for us. Uh, came out really good. 
And uh, yeah, I guess that's about it. Well, well, I hope so. You said you had a few things, you liar. All right. No, that's <laughs> great. That's great. Always, always uh, getting yourself out there. That's always great. And a lot of a lot of different uh, wonderful things on the on the network here. So very awesome. All right, Taylor. Got to plug away. Oh yeah, you bet. Of course. All right, Taylor. You've got you guys have kind of branching out. So tell us about some of the things you've got going There's on. There's so many things happening over at Riverhouse Games. Uh, so <laughs> not only did we start a second podcast, which has been totally awesome to do. That's been such a cool experience. So we have two podcasts now. The first is The Leviathan Files, uh, which has been going for more than a year. We celebrated our our happy birthday in February, uh, and we are rocking and rolling. We're going to keep going into 2016, 2017, as long as they let us keep putting podcasts on the air, we are going to do so. And then we also have our second podcast, the Riverhouse Games podcast, which I mentioned uh, a little bit ago. That's more of a general like tabletop gaming, like I I don't want to say advice podcast, but it's like in that sort of general vein of like people just talking about tabletop games. Um, And that's made up of three segments, which are all really awesome. There's Critical Theory, which is about like gaming theory, different ways to make your games better. That's like the closest thing that I could say to a tabletop advice. Our first episode for that one is up. Uh, That was the one about Dragon Age, uh, goals, motivations, acting. I talked to my actor friend in New York about tabletop role-playing game, and that was super fun. The second segment is called Game Closet, where we talk about uh, cool, rad, queer, LGBT plus tabletop gamers. We've already talked to Caitlin Bell, who just finished a, a successful Kickstarter with Josh Jordan called Singularity. That game is incredible, and I am so pumped to get it in a physical copy and play it as many times as I possibly can. Uh, our third segment is called From Scratch, and that explores how we learn tabletop games. So I have, uh, as I'm sure many people listening and uh, here, have a huge mountain of unplayed games that I haven't even cracked the cover. And From mm-hmm. Scratch is uh, my cheap, underhanded way of learning all those games. So what we do is we take a game that I have not played, that no one has played uh, in the group. We crack open the cover, we learn it, and we play it in one sitting. And that has been really sweet. We did that with From Scratch as a part of their promotion. In addition, I am writing so many games. So many games. Riverhousegames.com You can get all of my games totally for free. We have a game a month at least coming up. Uh, April is going to be incredible because there are so many contests running right now. So I have a 200 word RPG. That's the entire game is 200 words. I have an adventure seed that's 200 words, so those were two hand-in-hand for one contest. I'm putting up a one-page dungeon, so that means that the floor map, the room list, the encounters, the story, everything fits on one page. That's going up soon. What else? There's my April game that I'm writing is The Kiss of Walt Whitman Still on My Lips. That's a game about queer people in the 1800s who find a Greek artifact and terrible shit happens. That's going to be coming out. That's part of another contest. I'm working on this is a game about fishing, my big, huge game. That's like the big game that I'm working on. Um, Hopefully that's going to be coming out in June to coincide with GeeklyCon. That's kind of it for us. That's uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. I know and I try to talk quickly. So that's it for Riverhouse Games. I love love when you said that's kind of it. Boy, that's a lot. There's so many things, but I have to be like, look at all of them. How do you have any time to do any of that? Holy smokes. (laughs) I'm really busy and I'm really determined. My, I'm Golan. I'm doing it. I am going to write the other 51. That's a Hamilton reference. That is awesome. Boom. I love the idea of bringing out the stuff that haven't that hasn't been played and bringing it to the table because we have that here where it's like so many things and it's like why can't we just do it? You know. So I love that idea. All right, Rohit. Lots of 
awesome things going on gamers playing tell us about it uh yeah i mean well, now i feel uh going after that list i mean i've got a lot going on but it sounds a lot more programmy <laughs> than it does uh actually progressive um yeah i mean there's there's a lot going on in gamers playing we've we've I don't know what happened. There's been a recent spike. And so uh, if anyone is looking to play RPGs but can't find the time or just needs to somehow fit more RPGs into their life, we're getting five new games a week on average right now, which is kind of ridiculous. Uh, I I don't really know how to process that at the moment. Uh, (laughs) It's been really good. Uh, Definitely we're always on the lookout for more GMs because we've got a ton of players now. It tends to happen. First, we got a bunch of GMs, then players, then GMs, and it just goes back and forth. But we're looking into a bunch of new systems. Uh, should have L5R up soon. Looking at adding the Apocalypse World system as a base, and then that way I can expand it to the various Apocalypse modifications. One of the big things, um, after the Seventh Seas Kickstarter, a bunch of people, it was a big conversation on the site, and so I, I was really trying to figure out what I can do to make sure things work out. I got in touch with John Wick Presents, and unfortunately I wasn't able to back the game, largely because my real-life group is more sporadic right now, so didn't feel like the investment was there. But they will be sending me a copy of the character sheet a little bit early so that I can get it programmed, and basically when people get the book, there will be a, char- a digital character sheet for... 7th C's 2nd Edition on Gamer's Plane. Very awesome. I'm sure a lot of people will be excited about that and they'll be heading to Gamer's Plane to play their games. That is awesome. All right. Last but not certainly not least, Alex, a lot of, lot of awesome audio coming up and you guys have, all, ha, have had a lot of stuff to work on. So tell us about it. Yeah, man. Following uh, Taylor and Rohit, dude, that's intimidating. Uh, you guys do a great pitch job. So yeah, guys, Battle Bards, um, what can I say? It's your uh, the destination for premium top uh, gaming audio. Anything from music, soundscape, sound effects, voiceovers, you name it, we have it. As far as what we're working on, new albums will be hitting soon. I think I just spoke with our release manager. So we're looking at the general service greetings, VO clips, dwarf language will be hitting, and the highly anticipated Dark Elf Temple. And I got to tell you guys, it's we do play Dark Elves. At least we do portray them true to form. So if you have small kids, don't have them listen to these because there is sacrifices that happen during these musical scores. So be warned, uh, we do not, we don't go soft when it comes to portraying evil. So uh, that those albums should be going live soon. Uh, as far as big news for Battle Bards, big news for Battle Bards is the mixer is going live soon, which is going to open up an entire audio demiplane for all of you to make your own audio, mix it with your own libraries. Take that that fireball sound effect we got and throw that into the gladiator OST because you will also be able to upload your own audio into the soundboard as well. So two major features. I think the ability to upload your own library is live. Uh, the mixer is going through some last minute tweaks, which just uh, we're, we're, we're hoping to push that aggressively just because of what you're able to do when you can craft essentially your own audio with that click and drag interface. 
Um, there also will be new opportunities to engage with BattleBards to uh, get in on some of this gaming audio goodness. Can't release any of that right now, but uh, hopefully we'll have an announcement soon of some uh, pretty aggressive expansions on our end, just based on the feedback that we've gotten. Uh, so if you're interested, just check us out at uh, www.battlebards.com. You could preview everything that's on there for sale. We have something about seven, 800 tracks live. We have another three, 400 in the pipeline ready to go. We have about 100,000 track sales. So um, I think we've kind of proven the concept decently well. Follow us on Twitter at BattleBards, or you can follow me personally at SoulCollectorXX. Love to hear from you, especially in what audio you want. And of course, on Facebook, BattleBards as well. Awesome. I've kind of put it on Twitter uh, today that I was kind of able to, when I was doing one of the commercials for BattleBards for our site, or for one of our episodes, I was able to kind of mess around with the mixer. And I'm so excited to get my audio mixed in with that too. Holy shit. Holy shit. Oh, man. It's going to be awesome. So if you guys, if you haven't taken advantage of it, you gotta. We'll have commercials at the beginning of all of our uh, episodes to kind of get you more, get getting you more Battle Bars audio for your buck with our coupons. So listen to that. And if I may real quick, I recently discovered, by the way, that the mixer actually lets you create new soundscapes, which blew my nips off. Because, for example, I put in the ruined castle soundscape along with the forest soundscape. And now I had a ruined castle in a forest, which just blew my freaking mind. The mixer is going to change audio and gaming. I am telling you right now, I am donning my Donald Trump persona. And I'm telling you now... I know gaming. I love it. I know a lot of people who love audio and gaming. And I'm telling you guys, the mixer is going to change things up. Yeah. And he's not just blowing smoke up. Yeah. He's it's, it's really for real. It's really awesome. And it's going to be really exciting. So really you follow battle bards, keep track of it, get an account, sign up. It's going to be awesome. So, Enough blabbing for today. Well, actually, no, I'm going to do a little more blabbing. If you haven't heard some of the things we have going on, like I said before, just interviewed James D'Amato about uh, Noisy Person Cards, uh, their Kickstarter. So that's out right now, and uh, the Kickstarter will be starting on the 18th of April. So by the time you are listening to this, it should probably be going. So go and support that. And thank you, James, for coming on. It was awesome. Coming up this month, we will be talking with Mike from Fairway 3 Gaming. We're going to be talking about IPs. He is a IP lawyer, actually. So it'll be interesting to get his take on IPs. And we'll kind of talk about that in length. So uh, look out for that soon. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Legends of Tabletop Podcast, creating legends one die at a time.